Welcome back to the Successful Bookkeeper Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Palmer, and today's show is going to be a treat. Our guest is a CPA, QuickBooks consultant, CPA, and strategic advisor who was on HubDoc's top 50 cloud accountants list and is a YouTuber with over 3 million views on his channel. Hector Garcia, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to have you, and I'm I'm sure our audience already has heard of you because you're all over the place on the internet, and you've created so much content, so much valuable content that uh, I'm sure many of our listeners have seen you and consumed some of your content. But for those of you that have not heard of Hector, well, this is going to be a treat. And so, Hector, before we get into some of your wisdom, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your career journey leading up to this point. Sure. So, I'll, sure. So I'll try to make it uh, brief, although it could be a long story. So Take your I started. Time. <laughs> I started when I was 16 years old working in technology. I used to work for a, a local internet service provider. This is back uh, where we had uh, modems, and I remember the big excite, exciting upgrade when we went to a 56k modem. So only if you lived in the internet world in that time, you know what that feels like. So I learned a lot about computers, internet, uh, websites, servers. Then the dot-com uh, bust put my the company I was working on out of business. And then I went to work in Best Buy. Best Buy, the retail store. I learned even more about technology, more sort of retail, small business use of technology. And I learned pretty much all the foundational stuff I know today about inventory management from working at Best Buy. So I owe a lot of that core knowledge in my day-to-day -day practice and consulting with manufacturers, which is kind of my, my niche market um, from there. And I also learned a lot about uh, customer service and you know, basically the customer's always right type of mentality that you get from retail. Then uh, about five years later, I got out of retail and I went into banking. So I worked for uh, Bank of America briefly and then I got recruited to work for Wachovia, which was bought out by Wells Fargo. And I worked in small business banking. So in my five years of banking, I, I must have seen a thousand financial statements. I didn't know anything about accounting back then, actually. Um, but I did know how to read financial statements. I, I was formally trained to read them. And I noticed, and I started noticing a pattern where all these small businesses were struggling to get financing, but for the most part, it's because their financial statements were not uh, presentable. For the folks that had presentable financial statements, they weren't bankable because, you know, probably their strategy with their accountant was to just show as little profit as possible, to pay as little tax as possible, but not thinking about the capital requirements to grow into the future. So uh, sort of my combined experience, me working at the bank, and a whole other slew of things that happened in my personal life uh, drove me to quit my bank job and start a bookkeeping business. The genesis of the bookkeeping business was that uh, my daughter was born. My first daughter was born. This is over 10 years ago. And my wife decided right there the day that she was born that she wanted to stay home and she didn't want to go back to work. And this is 40% of our household income pretty much being wiped out with one decision. And, um, and, you know, the, the three months that she was in, um, in leave, you know, still getting a little bit of pay from work, you know, it gave me a lot of time to do soul searching and research. And I looked for things for her to do on the side. And we looked at all sorts of things. We looked at 
uh, remote customer service, medical billing, and we stumbled upon bookkeeping and we, we looked at this thing called the Pro Advisor program, which is a, a QuickBooks program to give education to bookkeepers so they can support their product. And out of all the choices, we decided to do that, especially because of my banking experience where I had noticed that all these folks were struggling to to get their books right for their bankers. So I, I kind of married the two things and I said, hey, you know, uh, my love, you can do bookkeeping. Maybe I can refer you. Some of my banking clients are struggling to get their financial statements. And that was kind of the genesis of it. In the middle of this whole thing, I was helping her working nights and weekends on the bookkeeping business as the, as the business grew. And I completely fell in love with it. I mean, I, I've somehow bookkeeping and accounting called for me. And it was telling me that this is what I was meant to do. So 10 years later, or 11, roughly 11 years later, um, I have my practice as it stands today, which is called Quick Bookkeeping, which is primarily a bookkeeping practice. But today, I, in the, my firm of eight, I do most of the consulting, tax planning, and training work. So that's kind of the long story short of how I came about doing this. Now, parallel to that story would be my formal education. I, uh, I My undergrad was in marketing. Um, honestly, when I, re- I remember my second year, third year of college, I took accounting 101 and I thought it was the stupidest thing in the world. I was like, you know, why don't you use regular math? You know, why debits and credits? It didn't make any sense to me. And I promised myself that accounting would be the very last thing that I would do. And I, I picked marketing because I, I like the dynamics of selling and and, and branding and all that stuff. So the, my story kind of came full circle when I started my bookkeeping practice. I decided to go back to school and complement my marketing degree with an accounting degree. And you know, all these 10 years that I've been uh, operating my business, I also uh, became an accountant afterwards. And after I became an accountant, I became an enrolled agent for a few years until I was able to become a CPA, ditched the enrolled agent, so now I have, I'm an accountant with an accounting uh, master's degree, a CPA that has its roots in, in, uh, in marketing and co- technology and sales. And somehow all that stuff jumbled up makes the story of where I am today. Wow. That's, that's incredible. I mean, it's, it's a lot of great pieces of the puzzle that I'm sure you leverage all of those pieces for your business. And I got to say, your clients must just love working with you because you have this really interesting perspective of not only just uh, a piece of it, but literally, uh, you know, all the pieces, right, from marketing to the accounting to the, the bookkeeping piece to, to being a business builder yourself with with now a team of eight so congratulations on that you it must have been daunting when you when you were uh looking at starting this business and trying to figure it out and did i hear that correctly that you actually figured out well let, let's get your wife doing this bookkeeping side of the business that's where you kind of discovered it well, did i hear that correct i i I will be honest with you, and I, I should check my biases in the front door, <laughs> but uh, when I started this business with my wife, for my wife, I thought this was kind of a, kind of like a, you know, a woman's job, right? Like the, the bookkeeping. So that was kind of the intentionality behind it. And as I mentioned earlier, I didn't even know I would like accounting. As a matter of fact, we picked this 
just because I saw the opportunity. So I was looking at this from a strategic marketing level. You know, hey, if I help my wife build a business that I know there's an opportunity for, and she's got the personality for this, I don't. You know, she's, you know, uh, methodical and detail-oriented. I'm none of that. So I, I thought, you know, hey, this would be perfect for her. But bookkeeping just completely captivated me. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how this happened, but... Something as tedious as accounting and, and le- general ledgers and financial statements is something that really, really called for me. And I think it had to do with having formal training in banking and struggling to explain to these business owners why they couldn't get a loan. I mean, mind you, we're talking about 2007, 2008, 2009, really tough banking times. Everybody's struggling. They're looking for loans. And it's very difficult for me from a technical level, to explain, hey, why they can't get loans. And I thought that bookkeeping just basically explained the fundamental story of the business so, so well. And and accounting and bookkeeping has no gender, has no age. It it is really, truly, uh, you know, timeless. And it it is for everybody. I I actually recommend even my family members to learn it and understand it. Accounting is so fundamental for anyone that does any sort of business whatsoever. So yeah, the genesis of it is is getting my wife a side business, a sort of side hustle type of business so she can raise our our child and do a business on the side. But it completely turned upside down. Now my wife works part-time in it and I'm the one that does it uh, full-time. Fantastic. It really is. And and I love the angle of, of how you, you came to see the value of it and seeing all of these thousands of businesses that that didn't have their financials in place. Now, now, when you were starting your business, uh, you, you've actually, in terms of marketing, you you have that expertise. And maybe let's talk a little bit about that in terms of how you went to market with your business and started to establish your, yourself uh, and, and your business. Uh, sure. So, you know, having an undergrad in marketing doesn't make you a marketing expert at all, no, not, not by a long shot. But at least it, it instilled uh, discipline d- deep inside of me of understanding how long it takes to build a brand and the value, a long-term value a brand can have in raising your prices, in having repeat customers and having referrals, all of that stuff. I mean, this is before I even understood the concept of personal branding versus corporate branding, which could be a topic that we can discuss in an entire episode. But having... Having core in marketing, not just education, just, I just love marketing. I mean, it's just marketing, the whole profession is something that I, I love simultaneously as much as I love accounting. So that actually helped me approach my business uh, from both the financial accounting and marketing perspective. Now, something that's interesting is when I worked in Best Buy, which I mentioned earlier, I worked for uh, something called Geek Squad, which is... Um, which was a new brand to Best Buy where the computer and sort of technology installation services got overtaken by this other company that had a brand in professional services. When Geek Squad came along, they retail priced all of this professional services inside Best Buy. Before we used to charge by the hour in Best Buy, which is kind of interesting. Um, And Geek Squad came in and basically had a menu price for everything. And I thought it was crazy. How can you menu price technical services, you know, cleaning a virus out of a computer 
which sometimes could be a 30 minute thing. Sometimes it could be a four hour thing, but they had this system in place where with fixed menu prices, you know, some, some win, some lose it basically law of averages. And they were very successful. They were acquired for multiple million dollars from Best Buy. So I basically bought into that. So having that in my, in my repertoire per se, and then also working in the bank, which also does pretty much menu transaction-based pricing. Naturally, when I started my business, right from the get-go, I didn't even know that hourly concept, you know, for accounting. I started right away with a menu-based price. So it's kind of interesting. I marketed my business as a, you know, predictable price, menu-based price, know what you're buying up front, bookkeeping practice, before I even understood the whole movement of value pricing versus hourly. And, and that was difficult because I, I, I realized really quick, especially me learning this business, that menu pricing is it's challenging when I don't know how, how long these jobs are going to take. I mean, my first couple of clients, we were spending six to eight hours per week and we were charging $125 a month fixed fee. I screwed up, mm-hmm. but that was part of the learning experience. And what was what was kind of the bad part of the story, it's I, I ditched menu pricing to move to hourly pricing. So I went from fixed fee to hourly. And then a few years later, I've, you know, as I, as I studied value pricing, I've transitioned to, to value pricing. And the reason why I combined pricing with your question about marketing is because I fundamentally believe that pricing is actually one of the most important uh, strategies when it comes to marketing yourself or your firm. People infer all sorts of things based on the price and, and, and the price itself adds context to what the customer may be buying or it also adds a comparison point with everybody else. You know, as, an, as a young bookkeeper, I was trying to basically stand out in, in one way and the fixed pricing method helped me stand out. When I moved to hourly, then it was really difficult to stand out because it was all uh, comparing by the hour. So part of my marketing journey has been understanding uh, pricing. But together with pricing, uh, positioning also plays a really important role. And I didn't really know this until maybe six, seven years into my practice, that when you call yourself a bookkeeper or an accountant without having a strong position, uh, your customers will assume what you do. And every engagement becomes such a potential mess, you know, where, where you don't know what the customer once the customer doesn't know what they want, they ask for too much. I mean, scope creep all over the place. So as I, as I learned this more and more, and I studied positioning as well as pricing, I understood that narrowing your focus, going for a smaller audience, being more determined in what is the problem that you solved helps you raise your position. It does lower the amount of clients that you could potentially access, but it increases the probability that your target client wants to work with you as a specialist. So I know people call this niche and specialty, but it goes a bit beyond that. Positioning is having a stake on the ground of who you are, what you stand for, and most importantly, what you're not going to do. And then when you're really well positioned, the clients are going to ask you potentially for the things you don't want to do, will not gravitate towards you because you were very explicit through your marketing, through your advertising, through your branding on what is it that you do and what is it that you do not. 
fantastically said and and so important to figure this this stuff out how is it how is that positioning now you said it took you a while to figure that out in your in your practice how is it now helping you now that you figured some of those things out so i would say that the principal positioning angle right that I, that i have is i like to work with customers that are willing to put the work to do things right themselves. Now, I never wrote this down. I never said this is my positioning. But now I understood it after creating so many YouTube videos and knowing the difference between a customer that comes from a YouTube video versus, let's say, a referral. So this is kind of interesting. So at first, you know, referrals were key, right? Referrals were the most important thing. They come from another person of trust. They're saying, hey, go with this person. He's, he's a great bookkeeper. And then they come over. But then it takes a really long time to figure out whether that referral is worth your while. And because it's a referral, you're sort of partially committed to, to answering them or at least getting offering them something. Um, whereas when they come from YouTube, they're, they, they're much more different. They're, they're a customer that already saw a video that had a specific problem that tried to fix it themselves through a how to do it yourself video. And when they call me, they already, you know, most of our customers say or, or implicitly come with this, uh, this concept, which is, Hey, I have this problem. I try to fix it myself. I want to fix it myself. It turned out that it wasn't that simple to fix it myself. I need a true professional that knows what they're talking about. And I'm calling you because you are the source of knowledge for this specific problem. Can you help me? That, the sale is a whole nother concept because now I know they want me. They are specifically wanting to work with me. I don't have anybody else they can compare me to. I don't have to go into a price war. I can specifically solve their problem. And, and even if I have the highest price out of every possible phone call that they make, they have a high level of certainty that I can probably solve their problem because they said so when they when they came in and they and they called and they requested to work with me one on one. So this is by accident, you know, the type of customer from the perspective of where they are, you know, mindset or what role they have in the business that I, I attract. Now, from a marketing perspective, I actively and proactively only market to manufacturing companies. That's that's my sweet spot. I I I. I I fell in love with it. I love manufacturing. I love the concept of uh, America producing things. You know, I come from Venezuela and I remember when I used to live there, made in USA, that little tag in a product was such a great value, right? And then made in China wasn't, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so to me, and I always grew up with this aspiration that American made products are just better, right? They're made they're made better. So to me, it's very exciting to see American manufacturing businesses flourish. And I want to be part of that. So I advertise to those companies. But I combine that with the type of client that I want. I'm not looking for a manufacturing client that wants me to do it all. I want to partner with one that wants to manage everything internally and wants an expert that can guide them and help them navigate through the process of inventory management, bill of materials, and so forth without getting really geeky into the details of manufacturing accounting but that's how it all ties together with positioning you know once i 
this is what I say I do. This is, I repeat it over and over and over. It comes out in my marketing. It comes out in my videos. It comes out in the articles that I write. So when I attract the clients, my clients are just waving the pack of cash to throw at me. They're not really looking for me to, uh, to win them over another accounting firm. They're not comparing me with anything else. And yes, there's a lot less customers out there when you define and narrow your focus. But the few that are out there, they all want to fight to work with you and they're all fighting for your attention. So it feels really, really good to work in a space where people are dying to work with you rather than waiting for you to convince them that you're the best uh, service provider for them. It's, re it's remarkable. I love it. Um, and and it's one of the it's one thing and it's one area and space that I think many listeners would say, oh, I, that's where I want to be. And, and maybe speak a little bit to the, the journey that it took you to find that. Cause many people come and it's like, well, I just want to start where Hector is. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. But there's a big backstory, I'm sure. But nobody starts with anybody else's. I mean, one, one thing that is important for people to, to just kind of accept, and, and, and this is a piece of advice that a mentor of mine 10 years ago told me, you know, when I was, I just started my practice and I was throwing so many ideas out there. We're like, we can do this and we can do that and we can advertise here and we can take this type of client and I can help you do auditing. And I, and I was throwing up so many things out there. He was a CPA that had been practicing for about 10 years. I told me, Hector, chill out for a second. Remember this, 10 years takes 10 years. And at the moment, you know, this is 10 years ago, a much more naive Hector. I thought, I didn't think this was really important advice, but 10 years had to happen for me to go back and reflect it and go, yeah, it does, that does make sense. So I think a lot of times people are eager to, to uh, you know, walk before they can crawl and fly before they can walk and all that stuff. And sometimes you have to just remember that it takes time to build expertise. It takes time to build a brand. And the only way to do this is to be exposed to as many companies as possible. So when you're first getting started, being a generalist is great. I, I didn't know I loved manufacturing until I had my second manufacturing client. So it took one and then the second one. And for me to start connecting what I learned on the first one with the second one, feeling great about giving, giving great advice to the second one that's basically an offshoot of my learnings from the first one for me to learn, okay, this is my niche. This is what I'm going to focus on. So at first, it's, it's kind of okay to start as a generalist so you can get your feet wet in different types of accounting. I mean, doing accounting for nonprofits, doing accounting for law, legal law profession, doing accounting for a doctor's office, doing accounting for a retail store, for a restaurant, you know, for a manufacturing type of client, it's all very, very different. It all looks like it's like an entirely different story, different structure, different different chart of accounts, different context in what's income and what's an expense, what gets deferred, etc. Somehow, somehow you have to know what you want up front before you try it, and that's very difficult. So it's okay to start as a generalist. You know, and as soon as you find the patterns that you love, you find what, what becomes easy for you to explain and difficult for others, and that becomes your passion. And that's kind of how it happened. I said, you know what? I'm going to focus on manufacturing clients. This happened maybe six years into my practice. So I started doing uh, videos and writing articles 
mostly about inventory management, bill of materials, multiple units of measure. And then little by little, as people read my content and watch my videos, they just started gravitating towards me. And, and it also happens to be that those are the ones that pay really, really, really well. And, and that's from my perspective. Other people would say, oh, doctors pay well and lawyers pay well. Yeah, that's all from your perspective. From my perspective, it pays really, really well because nobody else wants to do this type of work. Nobody else wants to deal with the details and how to assemble a product and how to allocate labor into the product. It's just too much work for most accountants. So I have a humongous premium I can charge over the others. And I don't think, I don't call it a premium. I just call it an expertise tax. You know, when other, other people are not experts in the subject matter, they pay the tax of having to charge much less in order to win the business. I don't have to lower my price to win the business because I don't pay the expertise tax. I became an expert at it by taking most clients in manufacturing. And at the beginning, I took a lot for free or at a reduced cost, or I told the client, listen, this particular area, food process, uh, expiration dates, serial numbers, whatever new thing was coming my way, I told my client, yeah, let's fix it. Let's tackle it. You know what? I won't charge you. I'm going to spend the weekend figuring this one out and then we're going to come up with a solution and then I'll charge you afterwards once I understand what I'm doing. So a lot of the the learning comes from taking on the clients, gaining their trust, admitting that you don't know how to do one particular area, but taking it on full charge and say, hey, let's do this together. I don't know it. But in the process, I might learn it, which is going to be valuable for the most of us. And then I'll ch start charging you later on as when I can add value in this area. So for the people that are eager to like just sort of jump the gun and be somewhere where, where they can't physically be until they go through the, to the motions, you know, just don't worry about it. Don't hesitate. Just start, work at it over and over and over. You'll find your niche. You will find your passion and then position yourself. Stop taking clients that are outside that niche and then just go full blown on working with those type of clients. And one of the ways to do this is once you kind of decide what your niche is, is you have to make sure that you develop a, a unique positioning statement, which is going to be sort of a formula based statement that you're going to use to answer, you know, that 30 second elevator pitch question when you're in a networking event and somebody says, what did you do? You know, instead of committing the cardinal sin of saying, I'm an accountant, which is the worst answer you can give, um, you want to say, I am the X for Y, that one Z. You know, and X would be what you want to call yourself. So it could be an accountant, but add an objective that makes it unique. Uh, y would be your target customer. And that one's Z, that Z would be that desired future state. So I am the, the high-tech accountant for American manufacturers that want to understand their inventory and cash flow uh, better, right? So that's how I explain who I am. And for most people, you know, it goes right over their head because most people are not manufacturers looking for a, an accountant that understands inventory and cash flow, but they will remember you as a person that's highly specialized. So they are more likely to refer you a target client instead of referring you the proverbial, hey, do you know a good accountant? And they refer you a client that's not in your target market that you cannot charge a premium price for and that you have to possibly go into a price war or a competitive situation to win the client or spend an hour or two on the phone in person to win their trust and win them over 
because you're not in their target market. So that's kind of how it all comes together to how I would suggest anybody thinks about going into a niche specialty and then using it as a way to communicate what they do. Beautiful. I love that. Nice formula for our listener to, to use and, and to start to, to, to work out. Uh, you, I like, I love the way that you, you give both like, this is where you are, but there's a long journey to get to where you've been and, and giving people permission to just go out and take action. If you were just getting started today, because I know many of our listeners are constantly talking about getting more clients, attracting clients. If you were just getting started today, what would be your number one way to start generating new business for your business? Uh, well, that's a tough question. Um, I'm going to tell you what I did, which was pretty successful. Um, this is back when I was a generalist. What I did was I went to the, to the city, this, my city's website, and my city happens to publish what's called the Business Tax Receipts Database, which basically is a list of all the businesses that pay the annual tax to have a license to operate in the city, right? So I basically downloaded that PDF, converted to Excel. I sorted it by uh, date and basically the most recent companies that were registered in the city to the business. Those, I sent them a letter, like I literally typed a letter saying, you know, this is who I am and I'm an accountant. I specialize in QuickBooks. At that point, I didn't have a niche. You know, hey, if you want to do a free consultation, here's my phone number. Glad to talk and we can chat about how we could possibly help you solve your problems. And I must have sent out like a hundred letters that day. And this is literally a month after I started my business. I knew nothing about nothing. <laughs> you know, but but I remember from my marketing class, a professor talking about, you know, uh, you know, uh, sort of mailing campaigns and the success of marketing in, in the mail world. And I had five phone calls, all like a hundred letters, five phone calls. That's an incredible conversion rate. And then I went to literally visit every one of those clients, spent an hour with them, right? Try to enamor them. And three of them became, became clients. So sometimes don't underestimate the power of the analog, <laughs> analog style yeah. marketing, right? So people are like, well, you got to do a Facebook campaign, you know, and this and that and the funnels and all this crazy marketing stuff that might work. I don't want to discount it. Uh, but sometimes when you're just getting started, you want to do things that you can control. Like I literally printed the, the, the paper, folded it and licked the stamp and put it on the envelope. Like it was really real. It was very real how that sort of raw type of marketing felt. You know, my wife was helping me fold the envelopes, you know, you can start that way. Uh, the other thing that you must absolutely do, and I, I think this is very true to any profession, but in accounting in particular, is you have to brush up on your public speaking skills that will help you with your consulting and consultative skills. So you have to learn how to convey a message. You have to learn how to communicate. Uh, there are some groups like BNI, lo Local Networking Group, and Toastmasters local net networking group, and I, I attended both, that kind of exposed you to present yourself and talk in public and just practicing on communicating what you do and how you do it really helps you, once you meet that client, close that deal. Because there's no use to having great lead generation marketing that brings all these leads, and then you blow it on the phone call, blow it in the 
in the meeting or when they ask you how much you charge, you give them the, the standard diaper answer, right? It depends. You know, customers hate it depends, right? So when you, when you can reward it depends with confidence and say, this is how much I would charge for you based on circumstance A, B, and C, which is an, uh, the result of the last 45 minutes of conversation with this outcome in mind that you want, that I want, guaranteeing that we can get to this point, this is how much I will charge. So once you learn the confidence of, of just having conversations, conveying a message and communicating with your client, you'll be much more successful at getting uh, new business. People obsess over leads, but they don't focus so much on closing the few that you have. Look, if you do good work, if you're honest and transparent and you know your debits and credits and you do good work and you output good work, the word will get out. People will refer you clients, right? So as you refine your skill set, what you want to do is you want to attract the clients that you want and you want to close those. You don't want to lose great referrals over a, a price question or a question that you couldn't answer because you didn't know the answer to and you gave the client a sort of a wishy-washy answer. You don't want to lose those clients over pure communication skills. So I would say brush up on your communication skills, be exposed in such a way that you can practice and practice and practice what is it that I do, how I do it, how I add value, how I partner with my clients, how my clients feel after working with me and how I leave them better than when I started working with them. Learn how to do that really, really well uh, which is combined with sort of self-confidence and, you know, true skill set. You're becoming a master of your craft. You know, this is practice and repetition. You do all these things well, then you implement any sort of fancy marketing uh, tactics. Uh, together with that, I would add make videos. Now, don't make videos because you think that your video will go viral and your video will be better ranked than uh, one of Seth David's videos or one of my videos or one of Veronica Wasik's videos, you know, where, where the three that's kind of make a lot of content around QuickBooks. Don't make the video thinking about that. Make the video thinking that you're practicing communicating your craft. And then hopefully, hopefully, even if that video has zero views, but it explains and conveys a concept really, really well, and you do get a lead that you can't close, email them and say, hey, it was great working with you. By the way, here's a video where I explain XYZ, you know, which is a topic we talked about. It may add some value and summarize the stuff that we talked about. My doors are open. Whenever you're ready to work with me, come back and work with me. And then what will happen is when they go and talk to other accountants that don't have videos, you're going to create a standard where people are going to say, hey, my bookkeeper has a YouTube channel. My bookkeeper has videos. My bookkeeper has content. This other person trying to win my business does not. That says a lot about you know, your courage and being vulnerable and putting yourself out there and, and, and exposing yourself by making a statement of, you know, something that you know or something that you are passionate about or teaching someone else something that you know, that goes a really long way. So I think the practice of making videos, not just for marketing, for the purposes of being better at, at, at knowing yourself. And, and you know that when you make a video, you're going to make a whole bunch of mistakes and redo them and take, do another take and another take. And that repetition of repeating yourself over and over and over and you know, noticing that you explained it in a, in a wrong way or in a way that, this, that didn't make sense or you, know, you want to try a different angle the second time, all that stuff just makes you a better 
professional, a better orator, a better communicator. And I think that great communication skills is probably the most important marketing tactic that you, you should ever implement together with having great pricing and positioning, specialization. All those three things combined will help you succeed, but you have to have the patience and it might take you five years to have a, a practice that you can look back and say, wow, I've built something great. Remarkable. You are a man of action. Uh, I think the listener and myself can uh, attest to. And, and uh, my final question for you is, how do you balance all of it? I mean, what you've accomplished in the last 10 years, I mean, we've got degrees stuffed in there and master's programs and videos and millions of views on YouTube. You've got a family that was growing through all of this. How do you get it all done? Uh, that's a great question. So, I would say lack of sleep is part of it. <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't you know, sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I sleep very little, but not anymore. That that was something that I, was, I, I would I would honestly say that I spend more time creating content or reading about the subject matter, studying it, talking about it, or writing about it that other people would oversleep, over otherwise spend sleeping or relaxing. So it it did take a great deal of sacrifice doing all these things at the same time, but now I can reap the benefits. Now I could, I literally make money on my sleep now because I sell courses and I sell uh, templates and people uh, pay annual fees to access my premium webinars. I mean, I, I figured out how to monetize this whole thing, but I couldn't monetize it five years ago. I had to wait. You know, some, some of these things uh, take patience, but when it comes to balancing work life, one thing that's really important, a lot of people don't talk about this, is that most folks that I know, accountants or bookkeepers, they work at least 40 hours a week and in average 50 to 60 hours a week. And when I say work, we're talking about client work, billable client work. Now, the problem is that most of these people are charging billable client work at a fixed hourly rate and they have to work 50, 60 hours so they can bring enough revenue to put some money on the, on, on the table. So two things. One, when you build a strong brand, when you build a great brand, you can actually charge the same that others do for working half the time. Or, or let's say for working the same time, you can charge double. Okay, so that's a really good point. So billable work, actual billable work, client work that I do is 15 to 20 hours a week. I have, I have in the past five years, I've never done more than 15 to 20 hours a week on billable work outside of tax season. Tax season is a whole nother ball game, but outside tax season, I really technically work 15 to 20 hours. Really important point. But in those 15 to 20 hours, I am so effective that I can charge a premium, double, triple, quadruple as what the people that are working 50, 60 hours a week. So that's a really important uh, uh, point. The other important point is as you build your brand, you want to build a platform where people can buy, even if it's little things. Like I, I, there are some things that I sell that are $10, $15, which are uh, you know little templates and PDFs and stuff like that. And, and, and after you start building a brand that people gravitate towards you, people buy it off your website. Now, that doesn't happen magically. It takes a long time of promoting, but that's another way you can sort of make money on your sleep. And in today's world where artificial intelligence and, uh, and apps and, and all these technologies that are seemingly are eating our lunch and people are spending all this time whining about how it's eating our lunch instead of figuring out innovative ways that they can serve their market without having to compete with apps or the big accounting 
companies, the tech companies are trying to pose as accounting companies. So as you build a brand and as you understand value pricing, charge more for your services and are specialized, you can actually work less, make the same, make more. And then the question of uh, of, of work-life balance is not even a question that should even be asked, right? Because you're making the assumption that I have this crazy life and I have no sleep and I work 80 hours a week, and that's not the case anymore. But first five years of your business, commit to working like a dog, right? Work super hard, work many long hours, write a lot, make videos, create content, listen to podcasts, read. And then after a while, once people start you know, gravitating towards you, you know, sell something that is beyond the hours, sell your expertise, sell the results of, of your work, and then it will no longer feel like such a heavy weight and a heavy grind. And it's no longer a problem of work-life balance. You say it all so well, and it's it's it just comes from pure experience. Uh, very refreshing, Hector. This has been absolutely fantastic. I would love for you to share more on where people that are listening right now can find out more about you and maybe take advantage of some of the things that you do offer. Sure. Uh, my personal website is hectorgarcia.com. Uh, it took me five years to get that domain name, by the way. I literally hawked it every year looking for the person that owned it at the renewal until about two years ago. I was able, I was able to buy it finally. Whoever had it didn't renew it, and I got it. So that's a great nice thing work. to have. Ha- have a really easy website you can point people to. HectorGarcia.com has much most of my bio, my content, that sort of thing. And then the other place where you can find a lot of my content is in YouTube. Just search for Hector Garcia CPA. And uh, you subscribe to my channel and there's tons of videos and tons of content for you to enjoy. Wonderful. Hector, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. And I look forward to meeting you in person at uh, QuickBooks Connect. I look forward to it as well. It's going to be a, a real hoot. And hopefully some of our listeners will be there and, and can, get, can get to meet you personally. Absolutely. We'd love to. Bye, Michael. Beautiful. Beautiful. And with that... We wrap another episode of the Successful Bookkeeper podcast. To learn more about today's wonderful guest and to get access to all sorts of valuable free business building resources, you can go to thesuccessfulbookkeeper.com. Until next time, goodbye.